Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. It's good to be here. It's, um, I thought it was kind of a cool place at, when I walked in and I thought, God, you guys got a hot tub up front and uh, <laughs> haven't seen that, but uh, no, that's cool. Um, it is good to be here. I live in East Texas um, in a place called Longview. Uh, I really tell people that that's where, probably about 40 miles west of us is where the beach begins and, um, and you get to the water about 2,000 miles later. And um, <laughs> you guys got to lighten up a little bit. You got to lighten up a little bit. Let me, let me say something to all the young people that are here too. Don't think that there's some, some old guy that's got a mustache. I got this letter uh, in the mail about a couple of weeks ago. It said, Mark, uh, please send us back our mustache, signed 1880. And um, I know it's outdated. You know, some lady said, I look like a silver fox. Keep your hair that way, but nobody cares. I, nobody wears their hair like me. Nobody wears that many boots and jeans and everything. And so I, I may look outdated, but I want you guys to know, is that where most of the young people are over here? Okay, I live with 60 high school kids. They come from all over the country. Pick 60 of you and you're just like the kids that live with us. We have 35 girls, 25 guys. And so I'm not here to tell your parents how to develop more rules to shut you down and to keep you from things that you ought to get a cell phone when you're 23 years old and you can't date till you're 40. Till you're 40. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm here to, to really help your parents understand what's going on in your world and at the same time free you up a little bit so that Things are a little bit more permissible, and I, I mean, just, just hear it on that side. I believe in tossing you guys everything and letting you take control of your life. Is that okay? Look at you going, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not against you. I'm for you. And, and really, the reason I do all this is not to help parents as much as it is to help parents help you and create a, a different atmosphere that you may have at home. So we'll talk about that. I'm... Um, I'm 63 years old. I just turned uh, 63 a, a couple of days ago. Um, it's one of those things that it, it's been odd for me to, to, to think about the aging process. I've been married for 42 years to, to uh, uh, my wife. That's kind of normal. And um, <laughs> our first date was, was in the ninth grade when a band came through town, a Christian band came through Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we decided, I asked her to go and so my mom drove me. Van was uh, Led Zeppelin, and um, and and so it was just it, it it started things, and then later we went off to school, different schools, and then we came back after a year and decided to get married. Got married when we were 20. I've got um, I've got two kids, one that's 40 something, and the other one's in his 30s, and and 30 um, something. I don't know what he is, and and. Uh, I've got grandkids. Anybody else here a grandparent? Anybody here? In, in, isn't this grandparent thing great? I mean, it's, grandkids are a reward for not killing your own kids. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And my daughter came to me and she goes, Dad, it's almost like you like, it's almost like you like them more than us. <laughs> Is it that evident? And she goes, no, Dad, I'm serious. And I go... Me too, me too. You know, it's, it's, I just gave an acre of land to my daughter and her husband to build a house and they said, it's neat that you want us to live here. I go, no, I don't want you to live here. I want the grandkids to live there. 
And I got two other grandkids that are five and something else. And, and, um, but they're good kids. And, and, and you know, the, the thing that you find is that if you do this, thing, this parenting thing right, if you do it right, God's going to reward you, and he's going to reward you with those grandkids. I know a lot of families that didn't do it right and have a terrible relationship with their grandkids, and so that's why I'm always encouraging folks. What you do now makes a difference of what will happen later. When I was in my 20s, there was a book that was written called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Um, In my 30s, I wanted to write a book called uh, I'm Okay, You're Not. And... um, and then when I turned 40, after my wife and I went through counseling, because she was messed up, and uh, <laughs> that um, I wanted to write a book called I'm Not Okay um, and Neither Are You. When I turned 50, I wanted to write a book called um, I'm Not Okay and I Don't Care Anymore. <laughs> now that I've turned 60, the title of the book would be Tasering Kids God's Way. And, um, and I, I think there's... I think it might be hard to find somebody to publish it. But as I've aged a little bit, I, I mean, my hair has turned colors, and, and, uh, um, and it, it just has. But, you know, Scripture says that, that um, gray hair is the glory of old men. So I guess that's the definition that I am getting older. And, and that's been hard to accept because I've kind of thought, well, I don't want to lose it. I want to make sure that I still got it, you know? You know what I mean? Got that. I still got it. I flew into Portland and uh, spent a couple of days there and was leaving, got there at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, dropped off a car, got on the plane and, and uh, I mean, was getting ready to get on the plane, but, ta- but had gotten my ticket, dropped off luggage and everything else, and, and, uh, and it was just kind of warm, and so I, I, just, I just sat down and, uh, before I went through security, and I just sat down, and I was kind of just, I think I was waving a coat or something, just sitting there and... This girl walks by, and, and uh, she just looks at me. And I went, <laughs> I still got it, you know. And, and then she walks back by um, just, you know, like two minutes later, and she just kind of looks at me. And I go, <laughs> I still got it. I still got it. And then she walks by again. And, and she walked toward me a little bit, and I thought, well, that's different. She goes, sir, do you need a wheelchair? <laughs> I have to go back to court because I punched her, and, um, and so hopefully they'll drop the charges, but I just couldn't. This is what I've learned through the years. Um, I would encapsulate it in, in, in some some very small words, even though we'll spend three hours talking about it. Three hours doesn't give the time to deal with everything that we need to talk about within families and, and how we are engaged and what God's designed us for. But I've learned this, that, that through the years, that probably the most important thing that I can offer anybody else is a relationship. And I say that to all of you who are grandparents, who, um, anybody who's a parent, anybody who has kids, preteens, post-teens, whatever, the greatest thing that you can offer your child is a relationship. And I think we get this idea somewhere that, that I've got to say the right things, that I've got to, I've got to make sure that I'm, that I'm doing the right things. And let me tell you that your greatest, your greatest witness to anybody around you is not the things um, that you say. It's who you are. It's the presence of who you are in the presence of somebody else.
Are you following me? Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said this. He said, um, remember how I was with you in fear and trembling. And so I would submit to you today that the, that the bigger issue is our Christian withness is our greatest witness. Are you following me? I think one of the things that hampers most of us because we live in a society now that's a little bit different than it was 20, 25 years ago. To me, for you guys, I mean, I'm pointing to everybody that's under 20 years old, your world's completely different than it was two years ago. And it's, it's continuing to shift. And what's happening is we're, we're losing the value of relationships. And I think those are the things that God would use to have us impact the life of somebody else. And it's, and it's this, if you'd, if you'd read 1 Thessalonians 2, verses um, 3 to uh, 12. I gave the wrong scripture this morning, I, I think. Um, so as I was reading, they had Greek up on the, on the deal. Do y'all read scripture here? Four of you? Is that it? Pastor. No, I know. That's what it says. For our exhortation does not come from error and purity or by way of deceit, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came to you with flattering speech, as you know, nor did we for the pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted ourselves. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. And having, this is the key part, and having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall our labor and hardship, how working night and day to not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel. You are our witnesses. And so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner that is worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and his glory. You know, the maintaining of relationships becomes so key. It becomes so key it's that, that, that I think we miss it sometimes because we think we just have to do more things. And I would tell you, it's not about the things that we do all the time. It's who we are. Now, I believe in actions. I, speak, I think actions speak louder than words. I don't believe it's what you say. It is what you do. So how we engage with one another. But the tendency is we've, we've become a very verbal society that is bent on expressing our opinion and talking and, I mean, just constant expression and now new ways of criticalness has, have allowed us to just tear everybody apart where it's almost become a game. And so what we're doing is missing, we're getting the voice, but Scripture says that even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Scripture also says that a fool delights in airing his opinion. And I look at it and I go, well, if that's true, what are we missing then? And it's the opportunity to engage with one another in such a way that we have a relationship, that we talk eyeball to eyeball. Do you guys know how to have a discussion like that? Where you talk eyeball to eyeball? Sit down and talk. 
have conversations that are more than 140 characters. Make sure that, that you're not just spending your time sharing sentences and more pictures of you and more pictures of you. That's the tendency because it's easier. Relationships are harder. They're very much so hard. And because we start out with great relationships. How many of y'all have preteens? Nobody? Okay. You know, I asked the first service, I said, how many have preteens? And two people raised their hand. How many people have teens? Three people raised their hand. How many people are grandparents? Four people. And there's like 150 other people. I'm going, well, where did you guys come from? You know what I mean? And they didn't know either. And, uh, and so it's a little bit different. But to those of, you, those of you parents that are here, and I'll speak to you guys here in just a minute, but, but to those of you who have preteens, let me tell you something. I just want you to know this. If you continue to parent the way you did in the earlier years at ages 1 through 12, if you continue to parent that way during the adolescent years, you will fail. And here's, here's the drive. It's easy to want to continue to please your kids and to protect them and provide for them. But if you never shift your parenting style where you begin to prepare them for the next stage of life, where they will live, not where you will live, but where they will live, then you will miss out on the opportunity to move from a teaching model, which is at 1 through 12, to a training model, which is 12 to 19. This is about me during the early stages. It's what I want for my kids. This is about them. And so it changes the way. You've got to shift your parenting style and, and do it in such a way that, that, that they know that something is different as well. <coughs> Here's what happens in the... And you guys remember this, don't you? Remember when you used to give your parents coffee mugs that said world's greatest mom and world's greatest dad and T-shirts that say the same thing? Remember when you got those and you went, I'm doing this parenting thing, Great. I am so good. Well, when my child turns 12 or 13, I'll just keep doing it the same way. And you will fail at preparing your child for the next step of life. So I would tell you this. If you have preteens, do this. Pour your life into your kids. Pour. Just remember the one word. Pour. Not P-O-O-R, okay? P-O-U-R. Pour your life into your kids. becomes important. I would hope for many of you in this room that the relationship that you had with your child when they were 7 and 8 would be rekindled when they're 14 and 15. You know, what I have found is, is that the older I get, the more I enjoy my kids, the more I enjoy their life, the more I engage, the more... I, but it, it, I have to be intentional. I can't just sit back and do nothing and think that it's going to happen. The tendency is most of us lose our kids at age 12 and 13. I would tell parents who send their kids to live with us, we've now had over 3,000 kids live with us that have spent a year with us. Isn't that crazy? There's 60 of them that live there outside my back door. If parents would have shifted their parenting style, it would look far different completely different. But what happens is a child goes, I don't need those things. I don't want those things anymore. I want things to be different. How many of y'all have teens? Are all of them in this room? How come y'all aren't sitting together? 
No, not really. It, it's kind of funny. Evidently, y'all know something about this side of the room because the last service, everybody sat over here. <coughs> it's kind of weird to me, but, but uh, I don't know what it is. Here's the thing that I think is important. Here's the thing, and, and there's probably three things that I would tell the teen parents, and I mean parents of teens. One is that your child wants wisdom, not more information. Because they have instant access to information. Hey Siri, uh, how many people died in the Civil War? My web search turns something up for how many people died in the Civil War. Have a look. I don't need any more information. And the more you give it to me, the more it makes me mad. Because in the process of hey, giving... Me? No, not you, Siri. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Siri, hush. But it's almost like a child's asking for one thing and they're getting something different. Because what they want is not information, they want wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Wisdom comes from observation, reflection, and experience. Every one of us pick it up that way. That which I see, that which I think about, that which I experience myself. And so that, that's where I pick up wisdom, and I get to see that. And so your kids pick it up the same way, what they see, what they reflect upon, and what they experience. But they want wisdom. They don't want more information. This, I mean, listen, this is, this is important. This is where the scripture comes into play that what father, when his son asks for bread, gives him a stone? What father, when his son asks for a fish, gives him a snake? What father, when his son asks for wisdom, gives him information? Now, scripture doesn't say that. I added that part. But it's important. And I think some of the frustration is that we live in an information um, and technology um, based society that it's more about information that turns over, I got it wrong earlier, turns over when you and I grew up, uh, the adults in here, every 13 years. When it used to, if you were born in the 30s, it, it doubled information, codified information doubled every 30 years. Information is now doubling every eight hours. Next year it will double every hour and a half. The following year will be instantaneous. I don't need any more information. Because if you give me too much information, I just shut it down and I stop. Are you following me? So be intent about sharing wisdom. And we, we'll talk about that this afternoon. The th second thing is create a home of rest. And I think everybody in here is just as, just as responsible for the atmosphere of your home as a parent. And so the greatest fear that parents have is that I would say something to kids that, would, that they can use as ammunition against mom and dad that afternoon. And the greatest fear that the kids have is that I would say something to parents that the parents would use as ammunition against them. Oh, we're going to go listen to some old guy with a mustache talk about stricter rules you know, and how we shouldn't be doing stuff. That's not it at all. My point of it is, is that when we start to create an atmosphere at home that allows rest, just as Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul. Not condemnation, not judgment. Now, who's responsible for that? 
the line starts over here and it ends over here. Because this includes every one of us. Every one of us is responsible. Any young people that are here, don't think that it's mom and dad's role. Because it's your role also. Because that's the home that you need to grow up in and not live in with regrets. And the third thing is this, listen. And that would be the thing that I would tell parents of teens. Listen. A guy named Chuck Swindoll, who I've been a fan of for, since I was 19, 20 years old, and I've done some parenting um, programs together. And, um, and he said, he's, he's like, how old is he? Like 140? You know, like old as dirt, you know, and, and not really. I think he's 82. Here's an 82-year-old man that has wisdom, and he said this. If parents would just listen, just listen. Mom and Dad, you've had your time to talk. Now it's your teen's time to talk. But somebody's got to listen. So the word I would give to the preteen families, pour your life, pour the word that I would give to, to anybody that has teens is listen. And you grandparents, um, I think you play a special role. I don't think God's keeping you around just so you can move to Phoenix and Sun City and, or go down to Florida and play more shuffleboard. I think God's keeping you around because he needs wisdom in this world. I wrote a grant, I spoke at a Bill Gaither event, um, uh, the Gaither Vocal Band. They're, that's an old group, and, and uh, they asked me to, to speak, and I did, and it was, you know, here's, I thought, I, I'm not so sure that's my group. I live with kids. I'm not so sure that, you know, it's the clanging of, you know, oxygen tanks at the deal and you know and just it was old I mean it was really old and and uh, it was just an old group you know the average age was like 106 and uh, but they went crazy and I sat there and I thought that's amazing I got off stage and and Gloria Gaither said Mark you need to write a book on grandparenting and I said well I I'm not that old yes you are no 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 <laughs> You're old, not me, you know. I still got it. I mean, I had some lady ask me for a wheelchair. And, uh, and I just said, I, no, no, no. She goes, no, you'd be perfect. You need to write the book. So I wrote the book, and I, it's, it's been somewhat amazing to see the role that, that grandparents can play in the life of their grandkids. And the word that I would give to you that, 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 that I would encourage you to make sure that you're giving to your grand. Don't be another parent. I don't ever correct my grandkids. I don't ever tell them what they're doing wrong. I don't ever tell them, well, you need to do this, or you need to do this, or you need to get your life right. I don't do any of that. That's what parents do. A grandparent plays a different role. My home is a place of rest and, and retreat for my grandkids. Come, come to my home. You'll be encouraged. You'll be, you'll be, be full of food. You'll, uh, we'll tell great stories, and we'll have a great time together. And I would tell you, start making memories before you lose yours. You know, it's that kind of thing. Do things. Engage yourself. But the word that I would give to you is perspective. My two granddaughters wanted to go see Taylor Swift a few years ago. I met Taylor when she was um, um, 14 years old, 14, 15. 
T-Swizzle. Um, I do a lot of stuff in Nashville and, and, um, and work with a lot of country artist kids. And, and um, it, it was just amazing to me that they wanted to go. So they all dress up like Taylor and they go to the thing and, and we get there. And my daughter buys the tickets. And um, so we're walking into the arena in Shreveport, Louisiana, walking into the arena. And I mean, <laughs> we're walking to the back of the arena. I'm old enough now. I don't want to sit in the back. I'll buy the tickets. I want to sit front row. You know, I want to sing in the band. I mean, I want to, I want to be up there. I don't want to be way in the back. My, my daughter gets the tickets, and we walk to the very back of the whole place on the top row. We're on the top row in the very back. I mean, and I'm looking at my daughter going, you've got to be kidding me. You know, why are we back here? Every time I did this, my head hit concrete. Look, that's what it did to it. See it? It just, it, it took all of it. I mean, it just, <clears throat> I said, what do we do? So I'm sat there and I kept going, you got to be kidding me. I'd see Taylor would come out. She was about that big. I think I can see her if I squint. But she was that, that big on stage. And after about 30 minutes, she left the stage and I don't know, we were just standing there and here I am with you know, like 18,000 screaming little girls and me, you know, at the, at the concert, all of a sudden, Taylor Swift is right there. And she'd come back to the back of the, the very back and came out there and they stuck a microphone. She's saying, I was so close to her, I could touch her. Not the way the guy in Denver did, but, but I just, that, that I, <laughs> I backed up, <laughs> backed up to get pictures. She was so close. And it was amazing. What my, this, this is what my granddaughter said when we got there. When we got there to the, to the event, she said, Papa, these are the best seats in the whole house. Well, why would you say that? Because you can see everything from here. I mean, the electrical and the lights. You can see the plumbing. You, I could see every person in the room. If you're sitting on the front row, you pretty much see what's on the stage, but we could see everybody. And she just thought it was great. So now Taylor comes out and does her thing, and now the concert's over, getting ready to leave, and my granddaughter looks at me, seven-year-old, and says this. She was giving me perspective. She said, see, Papa, I told you they were the best seats in the house. Your role as a grandparent is to give perspective on things that are happening in this life. It becomes important. Okay, so to you guys, perspective. To the young people that are here, I would tell you this. I'm all for these things. I'm all for them. Um, I'll tell your parents the age I think everybody ought to get them. And it's a lot younger than anybody in this room thinks. But, but I think that God has created you for deeper relationships than the connections you make on social media. I think, I think you guys have almost been deceived a little bit. And I say that out of the, out of the kindness of my heart because I spend more hours on a phone or looking at a screen than you do. You spend an average of 10 hours a day looking at a screen. I mean, which is kind of normal. And I go, that doesn't bother me.
But I think where you get cheated is learning about relationships because we live in a world where it's, it's cheap to have friendships. And I don't think friendships are cheap. The kind of friendships that will be with you 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now. Now, I'm not going to change your world. And I'm not going to change the culture that it's created. But you are created more. You are created for more than what technology would lead you to believe. Are you following me? I think every one of us in this room is created. Uh, God created us to be relational beings. And the greatest thing that we can do is to connect with one another in such a way that we have deep relationships with one another. I'll tell parents to have an all-tech, I'm sorry, a no-tech Tuesday at their home. Everybody just put your phones up. But I also tell parents, why don't you have an all-tech Thursday where you can't talk and you have to use technology to communicate? To learn that it's two ways of communicating but it's not my role to be critical. Oh, everybody's on their phone all the time. Why didn't everybody get off their phone? Well, they get on their phone because that's how they relate to one another. So my job isn't to be just critical of them. My job is to give them a taste of what relationship is. Can I give you an example of that? I got five minutes. If you come to my home and we would love to have you come in East Texas. Come see us. Um, I will cook you the best steak you have ever eaten in your life. The best steak. I promise you. Matter of fact, after you eat it, four or five years from now, when you're at a steakhouse ordering their $50 steak, um, you're going to go, you know... I still want the steak that we had at Mark's house. You will remember that steak. And it will change your direct, it'll change the direction of your life because that is what you will long for because you've had a taste of something really good. My hope is that moms and dads and grandparents and young people can have relationships in such a way that when they leave home, they are looking for that kind of relationship in a mate, in a job. You won't find it in the military. Um, a spouse. That they will go, that's the kind of relationship that I want. So the responsibility is on you and you and you and you to create the atmosphere for that to happen. Because God has created you for that. And so I would tell you those things that I'd want you to, want you to, to, to learn more than anything else. Um, and the first thing, truly the first thing, is pour your life into your kids. And the second thing is, is, um, is create a place of rest and listen to all the parents of teens. The third thing is, grandparents, give perspective and to you young people, I was thinking about this this morning, even as I was driving here. Don't be deceived. And I don't want to say that in a negative thing, because I don't want you to think I'm anti-phones and connections. And uh, I mean, I have an Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter account. 
I'm do all the stuff. And, and uh, I'm not saying that. But don't let that take the place of something that's more valuable. So I'd say don't be deceived. And to every one of you, I'd tell you this. You've got to lighten up. You've got to lighten up. People ask me all the time, how do you live with so many kids? Anything you can think of. Anything you can think of has gone on from rape, sexual abuse, to kids that are trying to commit suicide, to cutters, to, to you, you just name it. Anything you can think of. Those are the kids that live with us. Great kids. Great kids. 35 girls, 25 young men. And um, how, do you, how do you live there and do it? We've learned to laugh a little bit in the midst of it. One, because I know who, who, who I am, um, but I know who these kids are as well. They're not rebellious little snots. They are kids that have become lost in a culture that you and I have said that we're glad we don't have to grow up in it. So you learn to lighten up a little bit. And let me tell you a quick story, and I'll end on this. We're on the radio. I never wanted to do radio. Somebody came to us and said, you need to be on the radio. And I said, that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. I don't want to do it. One of our board members, this lady said, Mark, I think it'd be a great opportunity. Same way somebody came and said, you need to write books. And I go, I don't even <laughs> write books. I don't even read books. And uh, that's why I dropped out of law school. I go, you want me to read this stuff? Are you serious? I'm not doing that. And uh, so I quit a long time ago. But I can write books. I just never remember what I read. I don't remember what I wrote. I picked up one of my books out here and read part of it. I go, man, it's a pretty good book. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, so, uh, but when we did the radio thing, we wanted to be on Moody Radio. Moody Radio was a very conservative uh, radio station out of Chicago. Great people. Uh, we record all of our programs there now, but 10 years ago, um, we didn't. They didn't know who we were, but they're very conservative, very tight. If they had a sound that, that was, you know, kind of indicative of their motto, it'd be... They were just really conservative. And so here's this guy with an 1880s mustache walking in with a hairstyle that nobody else does anymore, except for Michael McDonald, wearing boots and jeans. I don't look like any other radio guy. And, and so they're going to give us a chance. Our radio guys in L.A. said, well, let's set him up. If we can get on this station we're on, we're on 80 different stations. And, and, uh, and so it's all set up that I'm going to go in and do a Tuesday morning live drive time show. And the host would just, we would just talk for the first hour from 6 to 7. Then at 7 to 8, we would take uh, callers and questions from callers from this audience of a million people that's listening to the radio program. And so, so I said, it's all set up as good. We get there, and I'm on this side of the glass with the host. We're sitting there, mics on, headsets, and there's this long piece of glass here. That, and on the other side is all the moody people, not moody like... You know, I mean, the moody radio people. Um, no, just a bunch of moody people. They're mad and angry. No, and they're on the other side, and and uh, and so they're just watching. They're just watching us as we're kind of in there, and they're sitting there just drinking their coffee, just you know, just drinking it. And the first hour goes well. Okay, what you have to understand is that this Tuesday uh, was a day after a news story came out about a pastor of a church who, had, um, who was very anti-homosexual. I mean, crazy anti-homosexual. The intensity was every week and constant and writing and, 
uh, everything was anti, anti, anti. But he was having a homosexual relationship with a guy that lived someplace else. So anyway, they found out about it. They kicked him out of the church. You know, family went through a crazy, crazy time. And now, three, four years later, this man who has, has done everything that is required of him by pastors and, and, and people in positions that can counsel him through to restore his relationship with everybody. And his counselor came out and said of this man, and uh, I know this guy because I served on a board with the National Association of Evangelicals with him, um, that they came out and the story was that this man is 100% heterosexual. Okay, that was the story that came out on SRN News. It was there on the second page of the Wall Street Journal, fourth page of USA Today, and it talked about he's 100% heterosexual. Okay, that's the story. Everybody get that? All you young people get that? You paying attention enough to get that? Okay, good enough. And uh, so it's, it's, it's that it's 100%. Okay, so the first question comes at 7 o'clock now on Tuesday morning. Hey, Mark, we have a lady on the line, uh, and she'd like to ask you a question. Sure. Hey, tell me your name. Hey, it's Stephanie. Stephanie, what question have you got for me this morning? <laughs> well, I've got a question for you. Are you 100% heterosexual? <laughs> Everybody on the other side of the glass just goes, <laughs> well, that's, hmm. And I said, well, and it was like things went into slow motion. The birds in downtown Chicago quit chirping. All the cars stopped. There wasn't a noise anywhere. People were just waiting to hear what I was going to say. And, I, and everybody on the other side of the glass was just, you know, our producer was sitting there going, don't, don't, don't say, don't. And I said, well, you know, I don't think so. I think I'm 95% heterosexual. I think I'm 3% metrosexual because I wear Tommy Bahama shirts occasionally. And I'm 2% homosexual because I'd kiss Keith Urban if I had the opportunity. <laughs> and I thought it was funny. I thought, I thought it was unbelievable. I was sitting there going, how am I so good that I came up with that answer just like that? Just like that. I mean, it was like, that I just knocked it out of the park and the, and the first thing you heard was this and the weather in Chicago is and they took it off the air there you, and, the, and, the, and, and, and on the other side of the glass I mean these eyes were big and you know when I said it and they're looking at me and, and I'm going well you know and, and this guy's knocked the producer from Moody's knocking on the window and you can't say that you can't say that you're on live radio you can't say that and it was quiet just like this, except for the weatherman. <laughs> well, it's a little stormy in Chicago at the moment, you know, and we're hearing him in the headsets. And I just stood up and I said this, guys, let me tell you something. If you don't lighten up, you'll never be able to talk about the hard subjects that our kids are desperately needing to talk about. You got to lighten up. I was in Duck Dynasty land and, and uh, uh, spoke at their church and this 80-year-old woman came up to me and said, oh, we haven't laughed like that in 40 years. So the man walked up to me and said, hey Mark, let me tell you something I've learned. You can always throw a bigger brick when it's wrapped in humor. I said, right on brother, 
I get you. Okay, here's the end of the story. I didn't tell it in the first service because they were all asleep. And, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> two years later, we're, in, uh, south, we're south of Franklin, Tennessee in a little place called Leaper's Fork. So I only got a minute left um, at Leaper's Fork. And uh, we're sitting at a sandwich shop. We're recording there at Michael Card studio. So we're doing some recording. We take a break and we go and we're sitting in this little tiny sandwich shop. Little tiny thing. I mean, like, this was the corner here and this was the front door right here. Little tiny sandwich shop. And the four of us are sitting there. Guess who walks in the door? Keith Urban. <laughs> and, and one of our guys goes, well, Mark, there you go. You know, so... So I walk up to Keith and Nicole and I say, hey, Keith, Mark Gregston, I <laughs> made a comment um, on radio and, and uh, that the 95 and <laughs> 3% and 2% that I'd kiss you if I had the opportunity. And he just looked at me and said, well, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> he didn't think it was funny either. <laughs> Learning to lighten up. I think laughter is another form of worship. We realize who we are in the midst of a broken world. And because we're all human, and hopefully all humble, that we learn that it's okay to laugh at some of the stuff that we do. But lightening up. Pour your life into your kids. Listen. Give perspective. Don't be deceived. And everyone lighten up. The greatest present that you can give to one another, the greatest present is your presence, your witness in their life. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website, at northbiblechurch.com.